Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is CW. Thank you for checking out the Top Docs radio show. This week was another episode in the series we've been doing in collaboration with the Medical Association of Georgia. And the topic of our discussion this week was diabetes and what we can do about it here in the state of Georgia and around our communities, many of which are small and or rural towns and counties. And as such, they tend to have limited access to healthcare providers that they need from advanced practice nursing to physicians of a variety of type, including primary care. And we know that primary care physicians tend to be the front line as it relates to trying to help patients avoid developing diabetes to begin with, or if they do develop diabetes, to be able to better manage it such that they limit the damage done by the disease to their bodies. Dr. John Johnson, my guest this week, was an internal medicine physician in practice for over 10 years here in the state of Georgia, and he knows full well of the prevalence and the increasing numbers of patients who are dealing with diabetes, and he knows all too well the challenges of educating and motivating patients to be compliant with decisions and behavioral choices that can truly help them avoid developing diabetes and all the subsequent problems that come after that, as well as helping a patient who does develop the disease to understand the value and importance of monitoring their glucose levels closely, making good food choices, committing to doing at least a level of physical activity that could potentially help them lose weight, if not at least advance some of their cardiovascular fitness, each of which can have a significant impact on the pace at which diabetes advances, if it does, and in some cases can even reverse its effects. Dr. Johnson explained just how big the problem of diabetes is becoming in the United States, affecting more than 29 million Americans, including more than 1 million Georgians. A quarter of the people who have diabetes or are in the process of developing it now don't even realize that they have the disease in progress, so they don't make choices that can help them stop it in its tracks. Today, Dr. Johnson is the Senior Medical Director for WellCare of Georgia. They're the company that administers Medicaid plans for over 45% of the Georgians participating. And WellCare is working to address the needs of the diabetic population by collaborating with patients, providers, family members, and the community using a variety of mechanisms, including value-based care, telemedicine, field-based case management, and a patient-centered medical home and advocacy. Here's Dr. Johnson talking about what we mean when we say patient-centered medical home as a strategy for population health management. So a patient-centered medical home is a concept that came around back in the 80s. NCQA, the National Council for Quality Assurance, tends to do what's called a certification of providers based on a tiering system. It's uh, level one, two, three. Of course, level three is the highest that one physician can attain. And it's a partnership, really. It's a home where a member patient would receive all of their care in a very coordinated and integrated fashion. We are currently operating under the NCQA standards of 2014, which the standards consist of six standards, 27 elements, and it's basically assessing the provider's ability to 
coordinate care, manage from a population health perspective diseases across the chronic continuum, partnership from shared risk, ensuring that there's communication, that the members are part of all of the decisions, and then focusing on integrating behavioral health because we've noticed that a lot of diabetics also have concomitant depression. And so what the provider from a a PCP, so PCMH is generally PCPs. So in Georgia, that would be internists like myself, family physician docs, and pediatricians would fall into that category. We partner with them under these agreements with PCMH agreements where we incentivize them to close gaps of our members that are within their panel. And they've also received an external certification from NCQA that gives them that designation. And generally, they have to recertify every three years. So the health plan partners with them by incentivizing them and paying them more for having that higher level of quality Stick around for the full interview with Dr. John Johnson of WellCare of Georgia coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. It is our regularly scheduled episode we do in partnership with Medical Association of Georgia. Pleased to have in studio with me the President and Executive Director of Medical Association of Georgia, Donald Pomisano Jr. Well, thank you for having us. We really do appreciate this. You want to introduce us to our guest today? Uh, this is Dr. John Johnson. I'll tell you, he's he's been uh, fantastic to work with. He's the chief medical officer over at uh, WellCare, which is a Medicaid managed care company in Georgia. They handle our Medicaid population in conjunction with the state of Georgia itself. I've personally got to know uh, Dr. Johnson over the last few years. He's been fantastic to work with. He does have some um, military background, so he does spend some time in uh, my native state of Louisiana. So uh, we always like to catch up about what's going on down there. But he's also a part of our Medical Reserve Corps. Um, And so he's been fantastic. Thank you very much, Donald, for that very kind introduction. And thank you for having me on your show. As Donald said, WellCare is one of the leading managed care organizations in the state of Georgia. We've been here since 2006. We occupy approximately 45% of the market share, serving just about 600,000 Medicaid recipients under the Georgia Families Program. Wow. So we've been partnering with the state for the last 10 years. Obviously, today on our conversation, we're going to be focusing on diabetes. And you're a physician. You spent a number of years running an internal medicine practice yourself. And, and I'm sure over that time, had the opportunity to see just how significant the problem of diabetes is. And the challenge with that and an opportunity, I think, as well, is the fact that it is in many ways, um, for many of us, preventable. Exactly. So diabetes is definitely a disease that can be mitigated by controlling certain risk factors. Some of those are modifiable and then some of those are non-modifiable depending on social determinants of health. Modifiable risk would include physical activity, obesity or controlling one's weight, smoking, cholesterol, and blood pressure control. Social determinants of health that impact our ability to manage those diseases include educational level, income, and geographic location. As you know, parts of Georgia are very rural. And so with that, it becomes challenges of getting those patients, our members, access to care in those rural areas, particularly the shortage of endocrinologists in the United States especially in the state of Georgia. And, you know, we're on trajectory right now. If you look at the statistics, 
third of us having diabetes by the time 2050 rolls around. That's amazing. Exactly. By 2050, one in three, that's absolutely correct. Right now it's one in 10 in Georgia. And when you look at how significantly diabetes underpins such a large segment of the folks who develop a variety of cardiovascular issues, heart and stroke, um, hypertension, all those types of problems that tend to be deadly uh, or at a minimum significantly life-changing. And oh, by the way, they're also fairly expensive to manage. Exactly. So at WellCare, we utilize all of that information to design our programs to ensure that the members that we serve have access to care in both rural and urban areas of Georgia. A number of our programs, to include our case and disease management programs, identify those members that are at risk for those complications that you spoke of, and how can we wrap around our services for those members to ensure that we reduce as many of those barriers as possible. And that's what I think you, you mentioned the fact that a lot of what goes into trying to prevent diabetes has to do with certain behavioral changes. A lot of it is how much do we get exercise? Uh, do we get to move around? Are we sedentary? What foods do we eat? And so many folks, you talked about the fact that such a large portion of Georgia is rural, limited access to physicians in, in some of those areas. But also, I think there's also a paucity of access to good food choices. I think that, you know, the, we're, we're in the age of got to have it now, got to have it easy, got to have it cheap. Uh, for many of our rural folks in particular, got to, you know, trying to guard uh, my cash. And what happens to be very fast and inexpensive is things like fast food and and options like that that are obviously not the greatest choices for us. Right, exactly. So for the low-income Georgians, there's the EBT or SNAP program that allows Georgians at risk for certain conditions to have access to healthy food choices. And at WellCare, we extend and partner with agencies that double the dollars of those benefits to ensure that our members have access to farmers markets. We have a proprietary program called our Community Advocacy Program, where we identify regions of the state that have socioeconomic gaps or needs for services. And we try to partner with community agencies to expand those programs, either through microgrants or through what we call Healthy Connection Summits or councils, where we do an assessment of the resources in the area and identify from their perspective what services they feel they need. We also have our care managers that are deployed throughout the state that connect with local resources to ensure that those members with diabetes are connected to the right services. And so you were saying that you've actually been able to form some relationships with community-based businesses and and other organizations that are kicking in funds to try to help those people have greater access. I know like if you look at the Cobb 2020 initiative, for example, at Cobb Douglas counties, where they have some mobile like farmers markets every once in a while that will go out into a community and they will provide access for those types of folks, good farm fresh vegetables that you want to be eating and then right. give them an access to it because a lot of times they don't have a great grocery store close by. Exactly. What we've seen is the biggest ROI or return on investment for managing diabetes is really self-management or programs that are designed to empower the patient, our member, to be able to manage their disease more effectively. And so what we've done is gone into communities to expand the social safety network and really 
undergird it with the resources needed to enhance those programs. For example, in Bibbs and Hudson County, we partnered with a local agency that did some diabetes counseling and cooking demonstrations, ensuring our teaching our members on how to best prepare their meals. And so did you have a good turnout from the folks coming out to learn? We did, as a matter of fact. And by the way, I should also mention that these programs I'm speaking of as part of our community advocacy program are open to all Medicaid recipients. It's not restricted to well care members. These are federally funded entities that we partner with. So therefore, we do not restrict attendance to these events to just well care members. But we've had an excellent turnout of well care members, and we do a pre post survey just to see if we met the needs of those that attended. It helps us with designing these types of programs in the future. How are they communicating with those members, the the Medicaid users out there in the community to that this is available? We're going to be having this event coming up. You can come out and learn how to prepare some healthy foods for your families. Right. So a number of ways. One, we put it on the wellcare.com website. We also communicate with our community relations and community affairs departments, our member outreach services that go out into the community and spread the word. We partner with provider offices and large IPA and hospital groups to make them aware of the events that will be coming up within the next few weeks or months within their geographic catchment area. We maintain a database year-round that tells us about all of these events both the ones that we sponsor and the ones in the community. And we make that available to our members through what's called our Healthy Connections or Community Advocacy Hotline. We've been talking with Senior Medical Director at WellCare of Georgia, Dr. John Johnson, learning a little about how they are trying to combat the advance of diabetes in our population. And as we were saying earlier, it's affecting a large number of folks in our population, particularly those in our less, you know, our lower economic groups where maybe they don't have ready access to a great source of uh, farm fresh and, and healthy vegetables, for example, and healthy meat choices and so forth. So they may be inclined to do things like fast food options and so forth that are <laughs> they're everywhere. And we were talking about the fact that there are some opportunities for those employees or employees for those patients in the community to actually get some education on how to prepare healthy foods, what those food choices are. And and I'm curious, Dr. Johnson, when it comes to engaging with those patients to say, hey, we're going to come out and we're going to have this event. How are they able to drive that message home? This is something that's worthwhile to you. I mean, because we talked about the fact that so much of this is changing behaviors. It's tough sometimes to change our behaviors. We've been eating this way all my life. I ate this way with my grandma and granddad, you know, that kind of thing, where it's just the way we've always done it. So changing that seems like that would be somewhat difficult, but it sounds like you're able to establish with these folks, look, this is killing you. Right. It's big. It's a partnership, really, between the patient at the center, their family, their provider, and the health plan, and it's us bringing all of our resources to bear for one common goal, which is to control as much as we can uh, and close as many care gaps that may be open for that individual to ensure that their health is improved. What we've seen in Georgia, both statewide under the Medicaid program and the state health benefit plan, are millions of dollars spent on hospitalizations, complications associated with diabetes, ER visits associated with diabetes. And if there's one way we can try to eradicate 
the disease as best possible, it's to centralize all of our resources, bring them to bear with the patient or the individual at the center. And, and it has to be culturally based. Uh, there are certain African-American, Latino populations where the information needs to be available in a way that it addresses those health disparities that exist in our state. And those populations that you mentioned, they tend to have a genetic predisposition for diabetes or at least developing it if the right type of combination of factors come together, lack of exercise and food choices, and you're predisposed already. Exactly. You used actually the correct word, which is predisposition. You're exactly right. Uh, type 1 diabetes, of course, is where there's insulin. There's no insulin made by the pancreas. Type 2 is where there's generally association with obesity or inactivity and underproduction of insulin. And then there's something called gestational diabetes, which occurs in pregnancy. And there's generally a predisposition for type 2 if there's a strong family history of uh, 2 diabetes. And I understand that through WellCare, you're, you're utilizing case managers extensively to try to engage and manage these folks and their, their health. How are you going about that and, and bringing those people to understand, hey, this is something we, it's very serious and uh, particularly starting with their kids, for example, trying to get the kids on the right track at that early age uh, can really make a difference for them. How are you utilizing right. that care, care manager? So it's what we call a teach back methodology. So in home with their resources, we send our resources into the field, into the member's home, of course, with their consent and that of their provider to ensure that if they're a diabetic who's on insulin or diabetic who's on an oral agent, that all of their adherent to their medication, that all of their open care gaps, i.e. they've had a recent hemoglobin A1C, which is a blood test that we utilize to monitor how well the diabetes is being controlled to ensure that if they are a diabetic, they're having an annual retinal exam to ensure they're not at risk for diabetic retinopathy or blindness, yeah. which can lead to blindness. And we want to make sure their blood pressure is controlled, meaning it's at least below 130 over 80, and that it's being monitored. And so our staff, which consists of RNs, LCSWs, which are licensed clinical social workers, social workers, care coordinators, and community health workers who help us go find our members, really, in the community. We go out to connect them to these wonderful, robust services that are available to our well care members if, um, again, we're able to make them get in touch with them. And so when it comes to Obviously, with the Affordable Care Act, there's a lot more attention being placed on preventive health, trying to engage our patients. For example, back in the day when you were in the office, trying to get those physicians to really take a proactive approach to educating those patients. And I know today, if you look at ACOs, for example, accountable care organizations, that's even starting to get into the place where the better your patient outcomes are and the lower the costs that it re was required to take care of that population, the better your reimbursement will be. How are those sorts of focus on that prevention starting to trickle down into what you see actually right. at the patient level? So what you're alluding to, there's a number of examples of that. ACOs is one example. WellCare employs the PCMH model, patient-centered medical home. Another uh, vehicle we use are what we call our value-based purchasing or value-based or shared risk type contracts with large hospitals or IPA groups, <laughs> typically what you do there is the facility is responsible for the care of a certain cohort of our members. We partner with them to ensure that those members have 
that have open care gaps, those gaps are closed in a timely manner. So the emphasis, as you stated, is on secondary prevention. Of course, primary prevention is that which affects the general population. Uh, but secondary prevention is really medication adherence, monitoring one's weight, making sure there's medication compliance, making sure they're controlling their blood pressure. And so we identify certain gaps to care that we can draft in an agreement with those types of facilities. And we say, for our members, we'd like you to hit a certain target to ensure that there's a minimum threshold of quality where the focus is on reduction of costs, reduction of waste, elimination of duplication of services, and what can you do to, in effect, improve the health of the members that we serve that are within your care. Well Care of Georgia's Chief Medical Director, Dr. John Johnson, with me in the studio. And when we're talking about the patient-centered medical home, what are we talking about? What's that concept all about? Yeah, so a patient-centered medical home is a concept that came around back in the 80s. NCQA, the National Council for Quality Assurance, tends to do what's called a certification of providers based on a tiering system. It's uh, level one, two, three. Of course, level three is the highest that one physician can attain. And it's a partnership, really. It's a home where a member patient would receive all of their care in a very coordinated and integrated fashion. We are currently operating under the NCQA standards of 2014, which the standards consist of six standards, 27 elements, and it's basically assessing the provider's ability to coordinate care, manage from a population health perspective diseases across the chronic continuum, partnership from shared risk, ensuring that there's communication, that the members are part of all of the decisions, and then focusing on integrating behavioral health. Because we've noticed that a lot of diabetics also have concomitant depression. And so what the provider from a a PCP, so PCMH is generally PCPs. So in Georgia, that would be internists like myself, family physician docs, and pediatricians would fall into that category. We partner with them under these agreements, what PCMH agreements, where we incentivize them to close gaps of our members that are within their panel. And they've also received an external certification from NCQA that gives them that designation. And generally, they have to recertify every three years. So the health plan partners with them by incentivizing them and paying them more for having that higher level of quality. And even by paying that particular physician a little more for the care they're providing, we're saving overall. Absolutely. Because the the expense of treating the things that come with diabetes, diabetes in and of itself is not inexpensive, but then all the things that come downstream from that are inordinately more. Absolutely. Because most of the PCMH providers also have extended hours. So they work a longer workday. They have weekend coverage. They have care management that's out of their office. That's not a traditional model that you see for the little mom and pop one and two doctor, physician doctor offices. But on average, PCMH providers have an EMR, electronic medical record system, that gives them a, a longitudinal line of sight into the care of their members. They can see hospital records. They can see their referrals to other providers. And they have a repository of all this information so that they make themselves and their staff available. So WellCare likes to partner with physicians like that. And right now, about 22% of our membership of the 600,000 I quoted, 22% of our members receive care 
from a PCMH-recognized provider. In the state of Georgia, there are about 1,100 PCMH-recognized providers. 720 of those are in the WellCare network, and 84% of those are level three, the highest designation. Well, there's sounds like there's still an opportunity for a few more of our primary care physicians to jump on board and, and achieve these additional certifications. Absolutely. I think it's more of an administrative uh, resource constraint to the provider because there's infrastructure that needs to be built. Not all of the providers in Georgia are on an EMR, right. electronic medical record system. I think that goes a long way towards population health and giving the provider the ability to not just take care of one diabetic, but give him a report card of how he manages all of the diabetics in his practice and to ensure that all of his diabetics, for example, have a BMI. We're talking about diabetes and one of the risk factors for diabetes, as we mentioned, is obesity. So how many of our WellCare members receive a, a childhood BMI and an adult BMI and is that captured as a gap that's closed. That's information we like to track. When you ha- were talking about gaps in care uh, for a patient's in their lifetime, if you will, where, where do you see those gaps? Where do that typically come into play that you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. So the biggest are around immunizations, the well child and adult well visits. So going in for that routine basic screening. I is, feel fine. I'm going to the doctor. Exactly. It's sort of like taking your car in for the annual right. check when nothing's wrong, not when you broke down on the side of the road. Yeah. So we should do the same with our bodies and you know, just develop a relationship with your PCP such that you are proactive rather than reactive. And so that's the emphasis that we like to focus on at WellCare, just making sure that our members have all the preventative services they need so that we have an idea of the quality of care that's being delivered to them. And from a design perspective, it helps us to know which programs we need to create to anticipate where the need would be. And I know that, as we talked about, outside of the two or three major or relatively major metro areas, it's farmland. Yeah. You know, it's rural. It's, it's, it's sparsely populated or at least sparsely populated by physicians we know. I know that telemedicine is one of those things that we're trying to utilize to bridge that gap to be able to put a patient that's out there in um, you know, far reaches of rural Georgia in contact with a high quality, very well uh, trained physician or, or healthcare provider would, would, for whatever particular issue they have. How are you seeing that play out? with your members. So at WellCare, we also have a telemedicine program and we have what are called presenting sites and rendering sites. So a presenting site is a place where one of our members would go into the doctor's office or into a location and be in front of what we call a virtual visit. And on the other end is either the physician or a specialist who will be rendering the care. The presenting site has to have the ability to operate or manage what we call peripheral devices, such that if we need to look in one's mouth or look in one's ear or collect blood or urine, so this is why it really cannot be done at this time at home. It has to be someplace where there can be sort of a medical visit on the presenting end, and then that information is electronically in real time, bi-directionally available to the rendering physician. So then the rendering physician is again, it's truly a virtual visit. It's like I'm watching you on the monitor and we're having an exchange just as close as we're sitting here now. And so then there might be a nurse 
for example, they're with you in that location that's looking in your ears, looking in your nose, having exactly. you say, oh, listening to your, or, you know, putting a stethoscope on your on your chest so they can hear your lungs and your heart. And, and a perfect example of what you're describing, which kills two birds with one stone, is school-based clinics. Mm-hmm. So, for example, WellCare has partnered with a lot of school-based clinics in rural areas using this technology so that, A, we can keep the kids in school, B, we've already gotten consent from the parent prior to the start of the school year so that it allows them to receive that service, keeps the kid in class, but still connects them to care either to their PCP if they're set up in our network for telemedicine services or to an endocrinologist or a rendering physician. For you, when you look around the community at large, Obviously, whether we're talking about this, the city or a rural community, how, how do you think we're going to really get the greatest traction on trying to stem this progression that we've had towards more and more of our population developing diabetes that right. could have been prevented? <clears throat> Things like this, which A, increases awareness of the disease. I think uh, if you go back maybe 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't as much awareness and focus on diabetes as there is now. Uh, As you stated at the beginning of the show, there's about 29 million Americans with diabetes and about 6 or 7% of that are people who are undiagnosed, meaning they are walking around today and don't even know they have it. Increasing awareness through education, screening events, which again, through our community advocacy program, we sponsor in various communities health fairs where we will screen the population. It's not restricted to well-care members for diabetes. So Awareness is the first hurdle to overcome. And then education, connecting those people with diabetes, whether they're a WellCare member or in a Georgian, connecting them to the right resources to know that they're aware of what are the risk factors for diabetes, what to avoid if you do have it, and how do you manage your disease yourself. Again, medications are tools to help you manage your disease. They're not meant to be punitive. So whether you're on insulin or you're on an oral agent, it's to partner with your physician to control your disease. Now, you've been, obviously, as we, we've talked about, you were a physician in, a, in an internal medicine practice for a number of years before moving into some of these other roles that you've been holding. And obviously, with our partnership through Medical Association of Georgia, many of the people that will come and listen to this particular episode are going to be colleagues of yours around the state. Uh, do you have either a, I don't know if you want to call it a plea or advice or a comment to, to your, yes. your colleagues in the community to help them get on board and yes. move this forward? Yes, I do. Uh, so first, WellCare has what we call clinical practice guidelines. And these are evidence-based guidelines that we publish on our website, wellcare.com. And we make those guidelines available as a reference for clinicians to manage their diabetics, our members. And if you were to read those clinical practice guidelines, it outlines everything we've been discussing this morning uh, to include all of the open gaps, how to close those gaps, managing blood pressure, managing nephropathy, kidney disease associated with diabetes. It's not prescriptive in that we advocate for one approach or agent over another. That's at the clinical discretion of the provider. Um, But again, we give them just a guide on here's a list of things of services that your member, your, your patient, our member should be receiving. They should have a 
annual, at least annual A1C, if you were to follow the recommendation of the ADA, the American Diabetes Association, it's quarterly. They should have a microalbumin where their urine is checked for protein to ensure that they're not having any nephropathy or damage to their kidneys from diabetes. And then if appropriate and they're not allergic, they should be on certain medications called ACE inhibitors or ARBs, ARBs, which help control the nephropathy. And all of these things are outlined in WellCare's clinical practice guidelines. All of the diabetics should receive annually, whether they've had a history or not, they should be screened for diabetic retinopathy, mm-hmm. what's called a DRE, a retinal exam. And what we've seen is there's barriers there. Clinicians know about the test. I think they have challenges with referring patients to ophthalmologists and getting the results of that test and making sure that at least they've done their part and made the patient aware of the responsibility. Uh, Back to when I was a clinician, I always noticed with my patients, whatever I focused on in the discussion and placed the most emphasis on is what grabbed their attention. And so if I talked about the importance of an eye exam and I kept asking them about it, did you go and get it done? It increased their awareness that this obviously must be important because he keeps mentioning it. And the same with all the other parameters that I've, we manage at WellCare. So. We were t- I was talking recently with um, somebody that, that has developed a technology solution that helps recruit and engage patients in cardiac rehabilitation. I guess like barely over a third of the patients who have a cardiovascular event actually get into a cardiac rehab program. And, and one of the big factors it talked about in that was, did their physician recommend it at all. And if they did recommend it, did they do what you were talking about where they said, no, seriously, Mr. or Mrs. Jones, this is really important. You really need to do this. Absolutely. Like, for example, with diabetes, one of the biggest uh, assignments is self-monitoring of one's glucose. If you ha- ask a patient, I would like you to check your blood glucose before and after meals. When they come into your office for a visit, make sure you look at it. Right. <laughs> if you don't look at it, how long do you think they'll continue doing it? That's right. And so, again, it doesn't reinforce behavior if because then the emphasis isn't on that. He's not even looking at it. Um, I could always tell when I got a new diabetic, if I asked them certain questions and they weren't able to answer, it kind of gave me a gauge on their participation level and their education level. If I said things like, so do you know what your last A1C was or did your doctor discuss what the goal should be? I generally would get a blank stare, like they didn't know what it was. And I felt as a physician, it was my mission to educate and teach them. Having had family members with diabetes, it was my role, to my duty really, to increase their awareness. And so I I really took that charge very personally. I know with electronic medical records, for example, that many of them now have automated features, if you will, that will help that physician's office to do some of those things proactively to uh, where even the physician themselves can craft the message. And it's actually Dr. Johnson that's calling me or a recording of Dr. Johnson, but that can reach out and re- either remind me of my appointments 
uh, remind me of the things that we're talking about here. Make sure that you're checking your glucose or report in with XYZ data. Are you seeing that improve some of this compliance with some of these ideas? So under the meaningful use, which I know to mag is takes on a whole nother meaning, but meaningful use, there are certain uh, portal features that allow patients, our members to have access into their medical record and the provider can open up or close certain features of it, which they can see their labs, they can see their medications, they can see their entire health record if they'd like. And again, under federal and state law, every patient has access to the open access under HIPAA to their medical records mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then others on a need to know basis. And so uh, the, the, again, transference of information and power is, is important to disease management. And you want to make sure you empower the patient to assume some responsibility for disease management. It cannot be one directional because as soon as they leave the provider's office and he's only with them for a finite amount of time, then the learning curve just changes drastically. And so back to your point earlier about communication in the in the community and partnership, communities play a role in having programs where there's self-education, having cooking demonstrations, church events where there and well care mm-hmm. sponsors a lot of these events through health fairs and, and 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 Saturday events that we've done. So again, we've also employed at WellCare texting technology where you can text members with specific and we have a mobile app where members can sign up for the WellCare mobile app and the app will send them disease-specific information. Uh, And again, through our case and disease management programs, the members are made aware of, and again, I say members because as the health plan, we don't actually treat our patients. We we serve them and we manage them as members, but the physicians, your audience is really the ones who deliver the care the ones that are in our network. And this is one of those ask your doctor uh, kind of situations that is really good for the patient every time. Exactly. Uh, and and I was kind of curious, and you touched on it a little bit. It sounds like even on the payer side that there is some trying to ch- trying to leverage technology to do some of those things logistically to get in touch with thousands of people with an individualized message is difficult, but it sounds like you're even on the payer side now, in addition to the electronic medical record in the physician's office, able to leverage that to educate your your membership so that either they will make certain behavioral choices, but then also maybe communicate in certain things or ask their doctor about certain things they need to be doing. Right. So the the there's been recent uh, regulation around exactly how we can communicate with our members, federal changes regarding texting and calling of cell phones, but those members that opt into our programs and the consent to us communicating with them, we leverage texting, mobile apps, our website. We have provider and member newsletters. We have, we go into the communities that we talked about earlier and we do what are called member summits where we'll just do a panel and just get an assessment from their perspective about the services that we offer including any enhanced benefits we offer, like Boys and Girls Club is a good example. Um, We offer for our members a Boys and Girls Club incentive. So those parents that have issues with their children after school and or the child is overweight and needs an exercise program anyway, that's an enhanced benefit that we offer our members through our Boys and Girls Club. So we try to do an assessment of what are the specific needs that have been identified by that community 
And then how can we leverage that information to develop a program that's specific for them? Before I let you go, got final thoughts on the on the subject of yeah. how we can tackle this issue? Well, again, partnership, working with all of the large hospital providers in the community, bringing to bear all of our resources and knowledge. WellCare just partnered with the Memorial Health Foundation in Savannah. We issued them a grant for $50,000 to tackle type 1 diabetes in children. Large businesses and entities that partner with the healthcare community to ensure that we improve the health of all Georgians is really uh, our goal and our charge. And there's 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 a what's in it for them opportunity there as well, not just share some of your, your dollars in a generous donation or grant, because by doing that, the more healthy their own employees are through education like this, then their healthcare costs go down. Exactly. That's exactly for the health of their own employees and the families of their employees. And again, when you're doing business in Georgia and you're based in Georgia and your families live in Georgia, then the concerns of Georgians matter. That's yeah, a, it's a wise investment. <laughs> Did you have some things coming up, Donald, you wanted to get into? Yes, we do. Um, we just wanted to make a note that um, next week, there's a summit here in Atlanta from March 28th through March 31st. And it is the, uh, the task, it, it's the task force to reduce opioid abuse. The task force leader from the AMA is uh, Dr. Patrice Harris, uh, who is a MAG member and, and Georgia native. She will be the featured speaker at the National Prescription Drug and Her- Heroin Abuse Summit that will be here next week. So I just want to put in um, a, a promotion for that so that people know where to go, that um, this is an epidemic in the country. Um, we've been doing a lot of work, obviously, through our Think About It and our Dan campaigns that that is uh, run through our MAG Foundation. But um, I can tell you, Dr. Patrice Harris is, a, is an active MAG member. I've enjoyed working with her over the last few years. She will discuss where the AMA is coming from with their vision in their work on their own task force that they have put together nationally to try to look for solutions for physicians to to try to find a way to end this um, opioid epidemic. So um, you can expect probably over a couple thousand attendees that'll be here in Atlanta next week. It's exciting that you do have the physician community coming together as well as with everyone else. And so and just one final note uh, with Dr. Johnson, I think he's been fantastic about listening to the physician concerns as well as the side that he gets from the patient concerns, because um, it is only through all of us working together that we can get that safety net out there for those patients that do have issues in, in trying to get access to physicians, because uh, rural areas, they are um, a lot, very spread out. Um, you do lack specialties in certain areas. And so I just want to say thank you for all the work that you're doing. Yeah, you're welcome, Donald. And and Donald raised a good point, which is uh, WellCare's partnership with a number of the large medical societies in the state. Medical Association of Georgia is one. We also partner with the Pediatric Medical Society, the chapter here in Georgia, the Family Medicine Physicians, and the ACP, the American College of Physicians, which are the internists in Georgia, of which I'm a member of that as well. Well, if you want more information about WellCare and the all the wealth of educational type material for physician and for patient, uh, you can go to wellcare.com slash Georgia. That'll get you to their link for our local folks here. Uh, mag.org, of course, has all the information about goings-on Medical Association of Georgia. Was there a different place that you had a registration for that or is that there on the website as well? Um, that's on our website. It's okay. under our breaking news section um, on the front page of the website. 
If you are checking out the podcast and you've not done so already, go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page to the Apple logo there. It'll take you over to the Top Docs Radio Show podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to us so you'll get the new episode downloaded straight to your device every week for the walk of the dog or the drive to work, whatever the case may be. And turn around and share this information. We really want to put this in as many hands as we can. Clearly, as John was saying earlier in the show, Many, many, many people, I guarantee you, several people that you care greatly about are dealing with diabetes and maybe even possibly developing diabetes and don't realize it yet. So uh, the more people that we can put this information in front of, the better uh, that we will be for us as a community as a whole. So we really hope you do that. I'll say thank you in advance. And uh, Dr. Johnson, thanks for taking some time for... uh, joining us here on the show. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Everybody out there who made us a part of their day today, I want to say thank you so much, Don and uh, Tom and all the folks over at Medical Association of Georgia. Thanks for being a partner here in the Top Docs radio show. We'll see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 